Good morning. Good morning. I'd uh, ask you to be in prayer this morning. My thoughts have been very scattered uh, lately. And this morning I pray that maybe what I, these thoughts in my mind will come out into words and will actually make sense into what I'm trying to say. Uh, but I think it was confirmation when Brother Kevin opened up with that psalm on loving the house of God, and that is actually what is on my mind this morning, is uh, the idea of love. The love is uh, obviously very important. And uh, I'd like to go to the First Timothy, uh, the first chapter. And uh, now this is an epistle to, as we know, to Timothy, who is a son of the ministry to Paul. And he's kind of, throughout this book, he's kind of helping him get the guidelines for how to be, a, I believe, a, you know, a good preacher, a good man of God, and how to address people, how to speak to people. And you might think, well, I don't know if that really applies to me. I'm, I'm not a preacher. I don't want to be a preacher. But I'd say that you're wrong. I think it could not be further from the truth. Everything in the Bible, I believe, is for our good and for our edification. Amen. And uh, in the fifth verse of the first chapter... Actually, I'll go to the. Uh, let me let me just go to the third verse. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. Now the end of the commandment is charity, out of a pure heart and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, which is just another way of saying babbling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And he says, Now at the end of the commandment is charity. Now I don't... <coughs> we know the commandments. The last commandment isn't about <coughs> charity. So I, I think he's referencing it some commandments that I think he gave to Timothy of how he needed to act and he's named Charity Um, in 1 Corinthians he in the 13th chapter he uh, at the very end says faith hope and (laughs) the most important charity so it just shows how important charity is and charity is just another word for love so he's saying love is a of the greatest commandment. And as I said, love, I believe, is very important because Jesus Christ, when asked what was the greatest commandment, he named two, which was to love love your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, (laughs) sometimes I like to think that I understand love in the sense of how Peter first did when he thought that he knew what love was. And he didn't understand that that type of love that Jesus Christ has. And I still don't truly understand that deep love that he ha- that He has for us. It- it's something that I-, I can't really wrap my mind around because it's so great of a love. But it's something that uh, I believe that we are, we endeavor to try to pursue the best that we can to have that love. Uh, so I like- I'd like to go to I reference 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. I'd, I'd like to go there because Paul talks greatly about charity and how important that love is. And that he says um, in the very first verse, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So despite all these things Paul is saying that you know he could do, without that love, that all that just it, it means nothing. I believe it means nothing to God. If you have all this faith that you can do all these things without love, it it's meaningless. The gifts of God are nothing without having that that love. And I don't believe that's just love towards Christ. I think that's love towards uh, each other, towards the. Uh, children of God. Um, oh, oh, sorry, I was looking for a verse here. Um, 
Charity never faileth, in verse 8, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. What I mean this morning when I say charity is how important that we need to remember to to love one another. And to endeavor to love the way that Christ loves. And I believe part of the thing Paul is trying to say here is that I think it is very hard to be edified without without love. Without that love of Christ given to people. And I think when we show that love to people, that they can see Christ in us. Uh, my my, fa- my father, which I, I love him to death, you guys, Natalie, he is very, very big about he He loves to try to help people, even if he, he thinks or knows they might be taking advantage of him in some way. And I remember I used to always just really give him grief about that. He would give people money all the time. He would give people just the clothes off his back if he could or anything he had in his car. And I always told him that, uh, I, that now, Dad, how do you know that they're really, they really need help? Because in this day and age, it's really hard to know who needs help and who's just trying to take advantage. And uh, he would always tell me something along the lines of that basically that the Lord knows, and that's not why he does it. He does it because it's the right thing to do. And uh, I always thought that was so beautiful. And I told him, <laughs> I told him recently that I really thought about that, and that uh, people can see Christ in Him when He does that. I truly believe. I'm not saying that to say that I think you need to go out and just give homeless people money and stuff all the time. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying how important it is that just the little things that we do, that when we do them sincerely and with love, that people can see Christ in us. I truly believe that. <clears throat> So I pray this morning that as we come here, that we come here sincerely and with love. And uh, as we worship our God to the best of our abilities with love. I appreciate that. That's, uh, that's the first I've heard that about Mark. It doesn't surprise me. I'm not saying that. That's just first I heard of it. Um, and... Uh, you know, sometimes you uh, you do just just because Christ commands, and that's kind of what uh, Paul was talking about. Um, and you may be in, you may be getting taken advantage of, but you leave that judgment to God, and, and and the Lord has promised that vengeance belongs to Him, and He will repay. Uh, it's not it's not in us, um, and so to exercise love is is the key. You know, I thought about the um, about the Apostle John, you know, who was exiled on the uh, island of Patmos. I mean, he was he was shunned by society because he preached Jesus Christ the same way you and I believe it. They simply shoved him off to an island, and uh, <clears throat> and it was written of John, not in the scriptures, but you know, the scriptures are not the only writings that we can glean from. I mean, these are the true writings of God and these are the Holy Scriptures. But there are, there are other writings about people uh, that, that have been handed down through time. And it was written of John, and you can, you can see it if, you're, if you read First and Second and 3 John, the general epistles of John, how he called, those, uh, he called them little children. He would say over and over, little children love each other. Little children love each other. And it got to the point where John couldn't physically walk. But he would, he would command his brothers to come and pick his bed up with him laying on it. To take him to the house of God. And that's how much he loved the Lord. And, uh, and as they were journeying, he would say, little children, love one another. And they had asked him, John, why do you repeat this? And his answer was, because when the church perfects this, it lacks nothing. So it is, it is something that has to be perfected. Um, the, very, the, the, <clears throat> the very grace of love 
is a perfect love because it comes from God. But how we take that love of God, like, like Brother Cole said, and how we express it toward Him first, I mean, because that's the first commandment, to love God with all the heart and all the soul and all the mind and all the strength. And, and then Jesus Christ put another gloss on the second commandment in John 13. He said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, talking about the disciples, the church members, as I have loved you, which then equals the love that you love God or that He loves you with. Um, and that love, it has to be perfected in us. In other words, sometimes it can be hid. Sometimes it can, it can almost be dormant as if it doesn't exist toward God or toward each other. And so John, that same John would say, He that keepeth the words of Christ in him verily is the love of God perfected. And hereby know we that we are in him. There is no greater proof and evidence of grace than when you and I keep the commandments of God, which yield or come from the love that God gives us to love Him with and to do those things. And that, uh, and that is our, that's how we perfect love. Uh, and by doing that, we love one another. I mean, this, this subject is deep uh, and could go on and on. But, and I appreciate very much what Brother Cole has has brought before us, but I, I must turn my attention to to the uh, to other thoughts this morning, and uh, I want to start also in the book of Corinthians, only Second Corinthians. Um, you know the the uh, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul said that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and you know that's if, if we don't believe that, then uh, then what do we base our our lives upon and our belief? You know, uh, the apostle said, I believe, therefore I speak. So what we believe in and who we believe it about is, is usually what we speak about. Uh, and so it's important to understand all scriptures. And, um, and I encourage you to read your Bibles. Please be a Bible reader. Uh, you know, we, what, what I can preach on Sunday morning, which, you know, sometimes is an hour, sometimes a little bit more than that, what Brother Cole cannot be the only source of your Bible knowledge. Uh, I had talked to Brother Hunt one time, and, and he, had, he had mentioned to me, he said, Brother Kevin, he said, now you have the church with you about an hour, preaching-wise, every Sunday. He said, but the rest of the, their time uh, is spent elsewhere, just like my time. It's up to them. It's up to me. You know, to spend time in, in God's Word so we can understand it greater. There's a reason why. Uh, and, 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 and the Apostle Paul would tell the, to the elders at Ephesus, he said, I have not shunned to declare you the whole counsel of God. It's everything. And there, there are good things in the Scriptures. I mean, the, the Scriptures are good news. That's the very Word itself. The Gospel means good news. And then there's also some, uh, some more dire news or, or uh, uh, warnings that, that God gives us. And, it, it, and it's based upon God himself. And, and uh, you know, when Jesus addressed the Sadducees and said, as they questioned the resurrection, you know, that's an important thing to question and not believe in, the resurrection of Jesus Christ into these bodies. He told them, you do err, that's E-R-R, -R, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. So it's important to know the Scriptures. So in the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about us in our tabernacle. This, this body, the Spirit of God that dwells in this body, being absent from the Lord in the body. That is, physically, I'm not in heaven yet, neither are you. But yet God is still with us. Even though we're not with Him physically, He's with us spiritually. And how we are uh, answerable to God... In these bodies. Because remember, if, if you are bought by the blood of Christ, if you are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, then you are no longer in possession of yourself. And, and that's a hard thing for, for mankind to come to grips with. That somebody has power over me to direct my way. Now, you can read in the writings of David over and over how David pleads for God to direct his way because he knew in himself there's an infirmity. 
within him. And there's an infirmity still within all of us, a deficiency in our flesh, a rivaling against God, a, a rising up against His commandments, a rising up against God. Uh, the only way to temper that part of us is through the Spirit of God that's in us. And, and then that Spirit of God in, it, it, that's within us and the governings of that Spirit then have an effect on, on our bodies, on what we do, how we talk. And that's what the Apostle Paul is addressing here. <clears throat> for we do, uh, this is the fourth verse of the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> for, uh, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing as God. This is God's working in us. What's Paul saying? So when, when God works in us, He works in us some burdens. And, uh, and, and, the, and the burdens are their, their necessity for us. Okay? It's to draw us away from looking on the things of this life. As Paul says, as we look not on the things of this life, but we look on the things that are above. Who hath also given to us the earnest of his spirit. All right? Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, but yet the Lord's not absent from us. That is, we're physically absent from him. As long as we are in these earthly tabernacles, we are physically uh, separated from God, but God is not from us because of the spirit that's in us. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say. And willing rather to be absent from this body to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present with Christ physically or absent as we are right now, we may be accepted of Him. Now, there is no way that God can accept your person, you, who you are in heaven, with the only exception that Jesus Christ has made you accepted. Oh. Uh, now, that is evident to an old Baptist. This is a theme that's heard over and over, and it's true. <clears throat> Wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to the cross and you were in him then, God gave you to him and he suffered for your sins, he hath made you accepted in the beloved. Now, what about being absent from the Lord and still in the bodies? That God still, and, and Paul is impressing this, that there is an acceptance of God with us and not us with Him. You know, it, it's absurd to think that the sinner has to accept God in any sense, way, or form. It's, that's an absurd thought, and yet as, that is the prevailing thought in religion today, which really basically puts the sinner above God and says, all right, Without me, you can do nothing. And that, that's the, that is the very theme of most religions. Without me, you can do nothing. Uh, and going, going back to a story, I, I like Brother Harold's stories. He, uh, he was about an eight-year-old boy in church, and a, and, a, and a woman preacher, which is contrary to the Word of God, came on a mission trip, okay? Came, to, came on a mission trip... Uh, and this was back when he was affiliated with another people. And she made the comment, he said, I remember it today, that, <clears throat> that we have bound the hands of God. We have bound the feet of God. We are God's hands and we are God's feet. So that through us, you, the congregation, have the option of going to heaven. That was her theme. Brother Harold said, I looked at my little hands, and he was, he's a little man anyway. He said, I looked at my little hands and I looked at my little feet, and I thought, if God's hands are as little as mine, and he needs these hands and these feet, he said, I'm in trouble. And, and, and that's right. And, and he said, that was the first time really he had a thought, an inclination that something ain't right about this doctor. Now, now, Christ makes us accepted to God. 
But while we are alive, absent from Him, present in the body, we still must be accepted of God what we do. So Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And this is the bar of Christ. This is the grandest bar of judgment there is. Now, I do not believe he is talking about the, the, uh, uh, the day of judgment. <clears throat> because Paul says we, tell, talking to a baptized, believing body of people called the church at Corinth, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. To receive, or, or that everyone may receive the things done in his body, whether they're acceptable to God or not acceptable to God. So that, so that Christ does not simply tell the sinner that it's your life to do like you want. Christ tells the sinner, you are mine, this is the way you're to go. I have bought you, I have redeemed you, I have purchased you by my own blood. This is how you glorify me. This is, this is my commandment of, for you to do. This, this is what Paul is addressing. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according as he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So if there is no yielding to the, to the nature of God, then in all likelihood our works will not be accepted of God. Uh, and there's a lot of God's children whose works are not accepted of God, who, whose lives and the way they communicate, the way they, they talk, are not acceptable to God because uh, they're not following the right nature. They're not, they haven't subdued the old man. You know, because uh, there's a scripture in the Proverbs that says, he that, he that doth not rule his own spirit, or hath no rule, no control over his self. Is like a city who has fallen and its walls are broken down, easily penetrated, easily penetrated by Satan, by by, by uh, temptations, uh, easily um, manipulated to say things that are contrary to the will of God, uh, easily provoked to quickly be anger, uh, angry to uh, to curse, to swear. Uh, there is that's why Paul said. I keep under my body. These bodies are meant to serve God. And not just on Sunday mornings. They are meant to serve God in everything that you do as a father, as a wife, as a child, as a mother, as a, as a, uh, as a husband, uh, as brothers and sisters, uh, as neighbors, uh, as a work, in your work field. You never to cease to be a Christian or a disciple of God in, in whatever field you are in. <clears throat> now, it takes strength to do that. And that strength comes from Christ and Christ alone. So, so Paul says, I keep under my body. So he was in control of his spirit. He, was con he, he knew in here who he must rely on, and it wasn't Paul. So Paul was under his body, kept it in control, because the same apostle says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now that sounds strange to an old Baptist that there's that 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 an old Baptist preacher, Paul was, <clears throat> says knowing the terror of the Lord, and and that and that there are, without a shadow of a doubt, in the Scriptures. Ways that God judges His people, and in fact, God Himself, speaking of the the uh, the, the uh, scripture I talked about a little while ago, uh, in the tenth chapter of the book of Hebrews, uh, and this is a quote from Deuteronomy. God says, "Vengeance belongs to Me; I will repay," saith the Lord. Uh, the Lord shall judge His people. You stand before this judgment seat every day, as do I. I do not, because I'm a preacher, I do not get a, uh, a pass. All right? <clears throat> the Lord shall judge His people, and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, now, now the reason Paul's saying this is that 
that, that our lives, our conversation, the way that we do, the way that we worship, will be acceptable to God. It's still about God. And, 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 and our uh, submission to God, our obedience to God, is a proof of our love to God. That's what Jesus says. Any man that hath my commandments and keepeth them, the same it is that loveth me. And you know what? The reward of such a love, of perfecting that love, he said, and I will love him, and my Father will love him, and we shall come and make our abode with him. That's the reward of perfecting that love, which is through just simply acknowledging that he's God and we're not. Uh, And it's been a problem with mankind from the creation of man when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, saying, you shall be as gods. Hath God said Hath God said? You know, and that is still the, uh, if you think about it, uh, Satan still used the same terminology today. Hath God said you have to do this? Hath God said you got to keep his commandments? Hath God said? Hath Christ commanded you, really, to give your life up and serve him? No, no, no. That's not what he means at all. It's your life. It's your body. You know, you're not here for a long time, but be here for a good time. And when, you know, when it's convenient, you can give God a little bit here and a little bit there. It'll be okay. That's what Paul is warning us from. Now, you know, we as, as, the, as the church as the, and the primitive Baptist, uh, <clears throat> I am thankful to understand the doctrine of sovereign grace. But I am more thankful that there is an author of that doctrine who carried it out. That's who I serve. That's who you should serve. We should never worship the doctrine. We should worship its author. Its author has the commandments over us. Its author has control. Its author, which is God, eternal, Father, Son, and Spirit, never argue within themselves concerning who you and I are or their expectations of us. There is no argument between the Godhead. The only argument is between us and the Godhead, is in our rebellion toward God. And that that is what Paul is arguing against. Now, there are things in the Bible and and events, you know, there's, and I'm not saying this is a good thing to do as a father or as a mother, as a parent, or as a brother or sister. But how God expresses judgments toward us sometimes or toward somebody else in the Bible, is by examples of other people. He brings people in the past up. Right? And, and, and most of the time, it's not good to bring up somebody else and say, if you were more like them, you'd be better off. You know, I, I probably wouldn't fare very well saying that to my daughters. If one daughter was more like this daughter, they would be better off. Or one child is more like this child, they would be better off, or we would be better off. You know, that, that probably wouldn't go over well because that really does bring up, you know, it kind of brings up the fist, like, how dare you? You know, don't compare me to them. But that's exactly what God does in the Scriptures. He compares, whether good or bad, He compares us to other people or other nations. Now, uh, which is a judgment. So when God compares us to somebody else or another nation, it is in a judgment. So in the 12th chapter of the book of Matthew, Christ does this exact thing. All right? Now, Matthew chapter 12, he calls them a generation of vipers. You know, that, that doesn't sound very much like good news to me. If Christ addressed me as a viper, that means I'm like I'm ready to strike, right? I've got poison, and the poison I have might pervade and prevail within the church. If I was to spread my poison, it might make you sick. I might draw you off from serving God if my poison enters into you. And that's so he calls the these people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who had a high religious standing, a generation of vipers. And the, and the nation of Israel themselves, the, the majority of them, even the believers in Christ, even some of his disciples 
It is written of them that they went away and walked no more with the Lord because what Christ said was hard. These are hard sayings. Who can hear them? Does it make them untrue because they're hard? No, it doesn't. But it shows how rebellious man is when Christ calls us out. And he's called me out on numerous occasions, y'all. Numerous occasions. Now, <clears throat> he says they're a generation of vipers, and, and, uh, and they, they got mad, and they said, show us a sign. That, you know, you tell us these things. What, how dare you say this to us? Give us a sign. He said, there's not going to be any sign given. But he said, first of all, he said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh a sign. And no sign's going to be given to this people other than the prophet Jonah. He says, as Jonah's within the uh, three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Then he says, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and condemn it. So this first time, he talks about a people who's going to rise up, not literally out of the grave, but the way that they performed and how they... That the children of Nineveh, or the people of Nineveh repented at the gospel being preached by a man. Now, Jonah, uh, if, if, uh, if you remember the story of Jonah, you know, it says the word of the Lord came unto Jonah and it said, Go unto Nineveh and preach to them. You know what Jonah did? This is a, this is a good example of what not to do. <clears throat> says, Jonah set his feet to go to Tarshish. And it says that, that Jonah went down to Joppa. And anytime you go away from God's commandment, you're going down. He went down into the ship. He went down into the belly of the whale. There's only going down when you run from God. You will not go up. <laughs> All right? And then he was in the belly of the whale when he was in judgment. Now that's, this is Jonah's judgment for not doing what God said. God says, you go to Nineveh. He says, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm going to run from you. He goes into the ship. Of course, the sea was, was raging. And the men finally, Jonah said, listen, you toss me overboard and this sea is going to stop raging because I am the reason why God has, has stirred up this storm against this ship. They said, okay. They tossed him over the side, and all of a sudden the wind quit blowing, the sea got calm, and they praised God. And they feared God, and they offered a sacrifice to God right then and there in that ship. Jonah went down into the, bell, uh, the belly of the whale, and in that belly of the whale, he said, Lord, I'll go. Now, why does it take us to get into a certain, a certain situation in life that he could have easily avoided? But in the belly of the whale, he says, I'll go. So what does God do? He calls, the he calls the whale to vomit him out on the shore. And you know what? God says the same thing again. He says, arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh the second time. And, and Jonah does. Jonah goes and preaches. Now, God had said there's going to be 40 days. I'm going to give them 40 days to respond to this preaching. If they don't respond to this preaching in 40 days, this city is destroyed I am going to take it out because of their wickedness, their sins, their iniquities. Their, their rebellion against God, their natural rebellion against God. In other words, they did not, if they were children of God in that seat, and I assume there were some, there's always a remnant according to the election of grace, they were not using their bodies, were they? They were not using their bodies in an acceptable way to God. Their voices, their words. So, so Jonah goes, and, and, and 40 days he has to preach. And you know what? The king of that place, when he heard the preaching of Jonah, he, he made a proclamation there. He said that I want everybody to repent of this way that we are living. All right, This was in about 868 years before uh, the, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. About 868 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, Jonah preached the people of Nineveh repented. They changed. They stopped doing what God commanded them to stop doing. They listened to the preaching. All right? Now, side note, 
about 250 years later, about 610 B.C., that same city, which was the, was the very capital of, uh, of, of Assyria, God destroyed because they went back and did the very things that God commanded them not to do. They were rich, they were powerful, but they were over like that because God said, that's it. Now, Jesus says, if the people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of a man, a mere man, somebody like you and I, He says that the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. Behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Here the Son of God is on the earth. And folks won't listen. The Son of God is on the earth preaching. Folks won't listen. They rebel against God. They rebel against the Son of God. They, uh, you know, they, they, they will not listen. They won't repent. In other words, their bodies reflect that the spirit and nature that's governing them is not God's nature. Now, whether they're children of God or not, I don't know. I assume some of these are. In fact, that's quite obvious they are in in some some of the scriptures. Some of them are not. Some of them, Jesus Christ says, where I go, you cannot come. Where I go, you cannot come. You shall die in your sins. But but if God is going to destroy, and he did, he gave, you know, from the time that Christ started his ministry, in 30 AD, God gave Israel 40 years. 40 years. He gave Nineveh 40 days. He gives Israel 40 years to change their ways. And they never did. And so in 70 A.D., God opened up the weapons of his... uh, He opened up his armory and brought forth the weapons of his indignation. God has an armory. God has a lot of weapons. (laughs) They're disease. They're they're, uh, uh, earthquakes. They are given in various ways, in various forms. But this is in God's armory. And God can do what he wants to with his own weapons. And it says he hath opened up his armory, brought forth the weapons of his indignation, and there he has poured out on the place called Jerusalem the greatest disaster and greatest turmoil, greatest affliction that Jesus said ever was since the beginning of time, nor there shall ever be anything like it. If you don't think God is serious about his own glory and his own word, If you do not think God is serious about His kingdom and gospel, they did not think He was serious, and Jesus Christ said, these men are going to rise up. But that wasn't all. He says, the queen of the south, she shall rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn. I'm going to bring somebody else. This is the queen of Sheba. You find her in the 10th chapter of the book of 1 Kings. Let's go and read just a little bit about that. Uh, it's, it's worth the, the reading. Let's go to 1 Kings um, chapter 10. Oh, I'm way on. All right. Now, let's see what she did to, to, a, to a regular man. Now, I say regular. I mean, he, he had a lot of wisdom. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of fear of God. That's how he started his life out. It didn't end up that way, by the way. Now, so, in the 10th chapter of 1 Kings, it says, And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. It's all about the name of the Lord. It's, it's how Solomon served God, and the Israelites served God during the reign of this king. She came to prove him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great train. In other words, she had camels and spices, much gold, precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. I want to know everything about you. I don't know how you do this. How how you got that kind of wisdom. Because I've heard a lot about you. And Solomon told her all her questions, just like God tells us. You You know, God instructs us, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. But he said, if you do, if you if you ask God, 
You better ask in faith, expecting God to give you the answer. It may not be what you want to hear, but it's going to be the right answer. All right? It's going to be the right answer. Because he says that a double-minded man is like the wave of the ocean. It's tossed to, easily driven by the wind. In other words, like the, like the individual who has no control over his spirit, that is like a city that's broken down with no walls. A double-minded, way, a double-minded man is like a wave tossed to and fro. And he says, And let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. If, 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 you, if you're just not going to do what God says, and, and, and the wisdom we have of God, you're going to say, I just don't like that. That's not for me. Then don't expect anything from the Lord. I say, there is terror in that. To me, there is. I have a great fear of God. And this is justified fear. I should be afraid of God. Now, there are fears that the Bible speaks of. It's an interesting subject. There are fears that we don't have with God. There are are certain fears that Christ alleviates. Then there are certain fears that Christ gives. David said, Establish, O God, thy word to thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. David was devoted to the fear of God all his life. It's, it's a bad thing when we're not. It's a, in fact, it, it, it does not yield anything that is good. So, so everything that, that we understand or that, that, that the Queen of Sheba is understanding, he's telling her all the questions. Everything you want to know about me, I'm going to give you an answer. Exactly how God does. Now, that's with some limits. When the Queen of Sheba had seen Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table, what, what he ate, the sitting of his servants, how, how they attended his, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the meals, the attendance of his ministers and their apparel, their, the cupbearers, the ascent by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There's no more spirit in her. She was amazed, amazed. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in my own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes have seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and thy prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. And then she comes in with a proclamation. Happy, happy are thy men, happy are thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear of thy wisdom. So this woman puts such a great degree of, uh, of stock in a man. And Jesus says she did, and it was okay that she did. But here the Son of God, the the author of this man's eternal life, the one who set him up as the king, the one that gave him all this wisdom, is on the earth. He has now a kingdom in the earth, set up a church kingdom, has preaching about that kingdom, tells tells a a people, go out and you you come in. I mean, as as a parable says, he sends out his servants, his ministers, and tells, tells everybody the, the supper's ready, right? The supper's ready. There's a, there's a man that made a great supper. It's Christ. The supper is his church kingdom, his gospel kingdom on this earth, the visible one that you're in right now, and the things concerning Christ. He says, you go and you tell them, my supper's ready. Come. Come and dine. It's time to eat. It's time to enjoy the riches of the Son of God. And it says, with one consent, they began to make excuses. The first one said, Lord, for, uh, uh, have me excused. I have bought a piece of land, and I must go prove it. In other words, possessions is going to get you out, uh, is, is going to be an excuse. Possessions. The first thing, possessions. The second one said, Lord, I have bought some oxen. Let me go prove them your work. Your work. Possessions, work. The last thing the other one, uh, said, Lord, have me excused. I have married a wife. I must go tend to her. Your family. Now, <clears throat> possessions, work, and family are normally the very things that keep people from the house of God. Keeps them from coming to the service of God that we are commanded to do. Now, Jesus Christ does not say, it is all right. I am okay with this if that's what you need to do. It says that he was wroth and angry with those, and he swore that they would not taste of his supper. That's a terrifying thing to me, to think I can never taste of Jesus Christ's gospel in power again. And here he was, 
the Son of God with the greatest doctrine (laughs) because it's His. And He says, She came 1,500... If you do the... Just do a little search. 1,500 miles, this woman rode on a camel or some beast or behind some beast. And and I I have heard it was was over like a seven-month journey just from the terrain. Seven months. 1,500 miles to go see the wisdom and hear about the wisdom of a man. And yet Jesus Christ said, greater, there's a, there's a greater than Solomon here on this earth. And I'm standing right in front of him. I've often wondered if Jesus Christ, in, in, in just some miraculous way, which he could, preached in every old Baptist church every Sunday. Would it change people? If Jesus Christ preached in every, every old Baptist church every Sunday, what kind of congregation do you reckon to be here? I would, you would like to think there'd be a house full, but you know, it wasn't that way. Do you know how many disciples there were in the church of Jerusalem? After Christ's ministry, 120. 120. You mean he preached to thousands? Yes, he did. He preached to thousands of people. But there's 120. And that's the only church there was, by the way, until he sent the disciples. There was one church on this earth, the church at Jerusalem. Jesus Christ preached to thousands and thousands of people. And yet in the book of Acts, we have 120 people. I don't know that, he, that people would listen to him. Now, if they didn't, guess what? Why would not then the Queen of Sheba rise up in judgment against us? If Christ says that they did against them, how come she won't rise up in judgment against us? If this is a method that God uses to teach us that there are people in the past and the way they served men or the way they served, uh, went to hear men and listened to men's preaching and were obedient to that preaching and were obedient to uh, and went long ways to hear the wisdom of a man and hear in the gospel kingdom. And you know, personally, Christ is not going to preach in these stands, but spiritually, in the primitive Baptist church, Jesus Christ is preached every Lord's Day. Every Lord's Day. Because this is commandment. The commandment is every Lord's Day. That's why it's called His Day. This is His Day. This is not my day. This is the Lord's Day. And now the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't, you don't think He views what goes on on the Lord's Day. And that we might not use our bodies in an acceptable way to God. His bodies. These are His, by the way. You're bought with a price. Glorify God with your body and your spirit, which are both His. So God uses, God uses people in the past to judge us and can. and still does today. This is not just strictly for them. Now, this particular, this particular thing here was against them. But it doesn't mean that God can't use the same thing toward us. Now, let's go to the book of, Nehemiah, uh, the book of Jeremiah, the 30. uh, 35th chapter of Jeremiah, right quick. All right. Here's a man, just a regular man. In fact, this wasn't wasn't even an Israelite. This person was not an Israelite. And God is going to use how his children obey him for nearly 300 years. This, This is an obedience that a man had for 300 years. He is long dead, but this shows what respect they have to their earthly father. Alright, so this is in the time, this is right before Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes the Israelites away into captivity, which is a judgment, which is terror, because they did not use their bodies. They did not use their bodies, their voices, their praises to God in an acceptable way to God, because God gave them certain commandments to do. They just simply didn't do it. The word of the Lord came into Jeremiah. He says, go to the house the Rechabites speak unto them, bring unto them one of, the, one of them into the house of the Lord and give them some wine to drink. Now Jeremiah's thinking, what in the world? Give them some wine to drink. Set them down in the house of God and give them some wine. But Jeremiah does exactly what God says. He goes and he looks and he finds this, this man, uh, Jehazaniah, all right, and he was from this household. His, his, uh, and he brought him into the house of the Lord. 
And he set down the wine before them. I mean, this is the best wine. This is the king's wine. All right. Sets down the wine before them. Tells the sons of the house of the Rechabites, Hey, you got full pots of wine. Drink ye the wine. Now notice what they say. We will, not drink, we will drink no wine. Why? For Jonadab, who was Rechab's son, our father commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye nor your sons forever. The reason why, you've got to go back and look in the book of, uh, in the book of 1 Kings, or 2 Kings, 2 Kings, that we find Jehonadab, who Jehu, or Jehu, who was the prophet of God, was slaying all the uh, prophets of Baal. Those Israelites who, who rebelled against God simply did not do His commandments, refused to listen, stout-hearted, God calls them stout-hearted. You turn your back, you've got a stiff neck, don't bow. Don't bow to me. Stiff-necked, stout-hearted. And, he, and, and, and Jehu comes and meets this man right here and says, Is your heart with me or no? And the man says, My heart is with you. He pulls him up into his chariot and he says, All right, we're going to ride together. And they rode and they went into the... And, and Jehu set up a, a feast in the house of Baal and had all of his servants to go kill. This is at the commandment of God. This was a prophecy of Jehu that he was going to do this, by the way, that he is now fulfilling. He killed all of those prophets of Baal, all the people that worshipped Baal. He killed, had them slain because God told him to. And then these people, who were not Israelites, they made a league with Israel. In other words, they said, I have a fear of this God. There's a fear of this God. They make a league with the Israelites. And, they, and this man here makes a commandment to his children and his children's children that is to be kept forever. And that is they will drink no wine, they will build no houses, and they will sow no seed in any of the fields. They were cattlemen, but they would sow no seed. Now, and, and we won't get into to reasons, but this is the same people that made this promise. And God is saying, bring them in here, put some wine before them, see what they do. And they didn't drink it. <clears throat> because our father, 300 and something years ago, <laughs> this is not their father right now, but 300 and something years ago commanded, and we're still obedient to him. We haven't changed. Neither shall you build houses, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyards, uh, nor anything. But all, all of you shall live in tents. They still lived in tents. They did, they did not seek to better themselves because there was a commandment they were willing to be obedient to of their father. And uh, in the 12th verse says, Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will ye not receive instructions to hearken to my words? The words of Jonabab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For unto this day they drink none, but, obey their, but they obey their father's commandment. Notwithstanding, have I spoken to you, rising up early and speaking, but ye have not listened to me. These men have listened to their father 300 years ago. This thing is going on. They're still obedient. And I rise up every day speaking to you, and you will not hearken to me. So these, this man here and these people rose up against the Israelites in judgment. God said, because of that, you are going into captivity. There's going to be confusion in your land. There's going to be turmoil in your lives. Uh, this is terrifying to me. Now, the way the Israelites should have listened to God would have saved them, just like Jonah from going into the belly of the whale, it would have saved them a lot of confusion, a lot of heartache. But they did not submit their bodies 
in an acceptable way to God. Because God gave them commandments. Even under the law, they had commandments. It's, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. This, is, this was God's words, and they just simply didn't do it. They refused the things God commanded to do. They did not do the things God commanded them to do. And now they are in a fix. And, and another man, one individual, and his, and his, uh, his whole posterity all the way down 300 years later is going to rise up in judgment against him. So he, they did this, and he was a natural man. They kept the commandments of the Father. You have not kept the commandments of me. You know, we are always, like, uh, just like Christ said, a generation of viper. We're always one generation away. We're one generation away. Brother, Brother uh, Chandler said that the other night, and, and it was, I never really thought about it. And then I found it in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> found it in the Bible. One generation away of, of, of closing the doors of Buffalo Church. One generation. I don't know how many grandchildren I'm going to have. And, and there's going to come a time when I, won't, I will not be on this earth. Nor will the rest of you. We are, you know, we, we live under this generation right now. <clears throat> and it will be up to my children teaching their children about the gospel, the church, the kingdom, its importance. How it is God's kingdom and how they should honor their king. They should not be like the Israelites. They should not deny him what was rightfully his. And that is the praises of our name, of his name from us. So that we can bring into the house of God. Because God has a specific pattern of how he is to be worshipped in New Testament and in the Old Testament. There is a specific pattern in which God, Christ, sets up himself. Now, the pattern is unchanging. Because why would it change? We have a very simple way of worship because we have a very simple God. God did not mean for this thing to be confusing to us. He did not mean for this thing to be hard for us. He didn't mean for it to, that, that, that you know, eventually in time it's, it's going to have to change because, you know, it's going to be very unpopular and, and, and uh, it's going to become old and outdated. God never said anything like that. God simply says, <clears throat> Christ in one of his parables, I have left you a vineyard. You occupy it till I come. It's yours to occupy. That is the church. You occupy it till I come. I have that same commandment either till the Lord comes and gets me and, and, and I die and leave this world or he comes back first. I am to occupy this. I am to occupy Buffalo Church. Or if I'm not a member here, I'll, I'll be a member of Primitive Baptist somewhere else. You know, hopefully, uh, I'll stay here. That, that is my plan anyways. Um, now, the, the, uh, in the book of, um, and, and I am just about finished. Let's just read a little bit in the book of uh, Judges. All right, the third chapter of Judges. This is after a generation has passed away. Joshua will be in the last one. The one brought him into the land of Canaan. Brought him into the land of Canaan. And, and, and that generation saw a whole lot, did they not? So they, they, this generation saw God bring them out of Egypt. They saw 40 years of confusion in the wilderness when they were, none of them were allowed to go into the land of Canaan. And, and in fact, the people who argued and, and, and brought a bad reporting and complained against God about you know, going in and fighting and taking this land, they simply died with ever, never seeing the good of the land of Canaan. And the rest of them went in. And they went in and they had to fight and drive out all their enemies. It's no different for us. There's no different for you and I. There are, Paul said, now our warfare is not carnal. It's not fought with the same as theirs did. He says, but ours is spiritual. Ours is to the pulling down of strongholds. Ours is to the bringing into, uh, ours is to the casting down of our imaginations. Ours is to the uh, uh, bring it into captivity, or also and, and also casting down every high thing that exalts itself against God. Now Paul had these things, and Paul was not a perfect man, y'all. Paul was a sinner, and he knew he was a sinner, 
But Paul loved his Lord because his Lord saved him from his sins. So Paul was willing. Now, what if, what if, the, what if the apostles rose up in judgment against me and you? You read, you read in the book of Acts how the apostles and also the early church and, and those 3,000 that were converted and that were baptized in one day. What if all that generation... God says, this is how they handled the gospel. This is what this was their reaction to it. This is their reaction to it in America now, or, or in Europe, or wherever. You know, this was their reaction in the beginning. This is their reaction now. I don't see much of a similarity. Now, I'm not really talking about you. You're, you know, you, you guys are here today, uh, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we owe God this. We owe Him this. And we also get benefits from it. But what if God used people of old and how they served him? What if he used Lydia, the seller of purple? Oh, you know, could he? Well, you know, apparently he can. I mean, he did that in the past. So Paul said, you know, let us fear. So this is this is the this is the generation going out that worked, labored. I mean, they, they, were, they were the pillars of religion in this time. They kept it. You know, and, and again, you, you think about generations in the past of, of, of how, how full the old Baptist churches used to be. Full. Now, and, and let me ask you this. When's the last time you ever heard of a sister church being branched off of another because there's so many members? Really, all we hear in the primitive Baptist world is they close their doors, they close their doors. Where's the, why is there not a sister church being built? Because, because one pastor cannot oversee that many people. That's, that's what sister churches are. They were branches of churches. When's the last time you've heard of a new primitive Baptist church that they had to build? I ain't heard one. I don't know if I ever heard of one. And it's not God's fault. It is not God's fault. All right. So these all went out. These were the pillars. And in, in the second chapter of, second, uh, of, of Judges, second chapter, 10th verse, and, all, and also all the congregation were gathered to the fathers. In other words, they were dead. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done in Israel. That is, they refused to do like their fathers did. They did not know or keep the commandments of God. They, they did not honor the, the holy day. They, uh, they worshipped idols. And that's, that's exactly what he says. This comes up next. They just started worshipping whatever they wanted to worship, however they wanted to worship. Didn't mean they stopped worshipping. They just worshipped wrong. They worshipped wrong. They started serving. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served Baal. Now this wasn't everybody in that generation. But this was a vast majority of them uh, that just felt, hey, you know, that, that's outdated. You know, our fathers, I, I don't want to fight against the Canaanites. Why well, don't I want to fight against them? So you know what? They, and then they didn't. They just simply did what the Canaanites told them to. Canaanites said, here's my daughter. Marry her to your son. God said, don't do that. They said, we're going to do it anyways. They took their sons and let them marry their daughters. God said, don't do that. We're going to do it anyways. There is a specific pattern. And these people did not keep it. They did not serve like their fathers. And that's what God says. You did not do as your fathers did who kept my commandments. Because by them, this land was taken. Now, these people here ought to win in with thankful hearts, gratitude toward God, and also with the, with the highest regard of their forefathers who fought. You know, we, we sing that song, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? Uh, do I blush to own His cause, or do I fear to speak His name? Must I be carried to the skies? on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win this prize, and they sailed through bloody seas. 
you know, we, we were, we're not threatened. Paul was. Paul was beaten for doing the same thing you're doing today. In fact, Paul was one who beat them before. And then, then his, convert, or his uh, being born again and being converted over uh, to the gospel truth. And uh, so if you, if you reflect, if we can reflect on, on the early church, how did the early church serve God? Why are we different today? Why would we be different today? Why would we choose to be different today? Is, is God any less of a God? Am I any less of a sinner? No. I, I, if I do not feel to be the chief, then I don't feel myself to be correctly or do not see myself correctly in that light. And that would, that, would, that would give me terror. I do not want to see myself in any other light than the light of truth. So, so as a people, uh, and, and just here at Buffalo Church or any of the primitive Baptists, or God's people in America. Can God, does God, look at somebody else in the past? A whole generation of people like the Israelites before. One man who gave a commandment to his children they kept for 300 and something years. The Queen of Sheba, who would come long ways to hear a man's wisdom, and yet folks won't turn out to hear the word of God. Or, the, uh, the, the children of Nineveh, who repented at the preaching of a man, and here Jesus Christ was on this earth, and they would not turn out to hear him. So Paul says, let us fear, or not let us fear. He said, but knowing the terror of the Lord, we are bodies. Let's keep our bodies, says the Apostle Paul, in an acceptable manner to God, because we stand for the judgment seat of Christ. And, uh, and, and I hope that until the Lord comes back or until we pass away, we occupy till He comes. And that's as good as we can do. It is as good as we can do in this life. And may God give us all the grace to do it. And it takes a serving grace. Again, that is a yielding to the, to the very Spirit of God, a serving grace we do need. May the Lord bless you.